This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? 9.36 a.m. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning. This is WTF, or What's the Focus? Our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week and other news tidbits you may have missed. We're here to make sure that you start the weekend in the know. Let's take a look at what's happening on the international space. I think the big acronym of the week was probably, or two of them, FTX. SBF, what's happened there, Shaoning? Okay, so what is FTX? Uh, you must have been hiding in a cave if you haven't heard about it by now. It's of course was at one time the world's second largest cryptocurrency exchange. Obviously, not the case anymore. It's declared bankrupt. It's gone bust. And why? This is because this is where SBF comes in, and SBF is Sam Bankman Fried. Uh, you know, Freed spelled like fried, literally like what his company is. He so, is fried and FTX is fried, pretty much. Pretty much. You know, this this has totally been burned to a crisp. Now, it's accused by US regulators of carrying out multi-year scheme to defraud investors. He's been arrested, by the way. Um, he's now languishing in a jail in the Bahamas. He was denied bail because he was considered a flight risk. He did offer, I think if I'm not wrong, a quarter of a million US dollars in bail money and also promised to wear a, a bracelet, a, knee, a what do you call it, those ankles? An ankle bracelet, a monitoring bracelet, yeah. Yeah, but the Bahamas judge said, no, 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 no. You can disappear, so you're going just to stay in jail. But what is interesting interesting to me is the fact that US prosecutors really worked super quickly to unveil criminal charges against him. Actually, these charges were just filed just a few hours before he was supposed to testify before the Congress. That's right. So that is, of course, not happening. I think the, the reason for their speed is because this is a case that has wider repercussions, right? There is a contagion effect, not so much on the broader financial market, but definitely in terms of the cryptocurrency space and which many view to be a bit of the wild, wild west of financial markets. And if you're old enough to remember 2000 in the heydays of the dot-com crisis, people say it has similarities. Mm. I think a lot of people are also drawing parallels um, with the Theranos founder, Elizabeth Holmes, and the fact that you've got these two people who are seen as mavericks. You know, they were very young entrepreneurs with these very forward, visionary ideas uh, that were ultimately found to be built on a house of cards. And what was curious to me was how Sam Bankman-Fried went on a media interview spree. He was talking to all the major outlets, trying to make a case for himself, trying to, I guess, manage his image. He was trying to come across as uh, trying to show that he had no malicious intent. He was just blur, right? That, that was his excuse. Which I'm not sure that makes it any better, you know, if it was done by at least somebody who was, uh, you know, a little bit of a mastermind, that was one thing. But uh, to be, to kind of come out then saying that, to admit that, well, it was basically incompetence, I'm not sure that makes anybody feel better about no. what happened. I mean, clearly there were many breaches when it comes to um, Chinese walls between FTX and their trading firm Alameda Research. Uh, and they definitely, uh, I think according to uh, uh, SEC, there was co-mingling of customer funds, which is always a big, huge 
no, no. Uh, so the point is, after this, what happens to the cryptocurrency space? Do you think regular regulators around the world are going to be more circumspect about this? I think the the one that you know probably is asking themselves these questions is Singapore because they did want to come across as the regional cryptocurrency hub. That's and right. they were encouraging cryptocurrency firms to set up shop there. And I think a lot, a number of firms that have um, fallen by the wayside this year have links to Singapore in one way or another. And this is another curious thing about this whole SBF saga, right? The fact is that he was actively courting regulators. He was trying to, he was saying, let's make uh, this regulatory environment a good one for crypto. So in a way, he, he spent had... spent a lot of money. He, he gave a lot of donations, right? To, I think, political parties. Both sides. So he was hedging his bets. But ultimately, he, he managed to hoodwink everyone really into thinking that he was one of the good guys in the crypto space uh, before all this was uncovered. And the SEC, basically, their point is that the collapse of FTX actually really just stems from the fact that absolute concentration of control in the hands of a very small group of grossly inexperienced and unsophisticated individuals. This is the result of it. Or at least this is what their new CEO is saying. By the way, FTX is the new CEO. I think this is going to be a case study for many, many MBAs to come. Uh, but let's turn our attention to another tech firm, and that's Grab, Southeast Asia's biggest ride-hailing and food delivery company. They are beginning to roll out cost-cutting measures to cope with an uncertain macroeconomic situation. The measures include a freeze on most hirings, salary freezes for senior managers, and cuts in travel and expense budgets. Uh, we're taking this from a report in the Straits Times. Yeah, which took their report from Reuters, who apparently has seen this memo that Anthony Tan, their CEO, had actually written. So he basically said this on Wednesday. He sent it to staff on Wednesday. Uh, and he said, more so than ever, all grabbers need to adopt a frugal and prudent mindset as we prepare for 2023. So some background on Grab, if you haven't used it by now, you must also be in another cave. Uh, there are more than 5 million registered drivers and more than 2 million per merchants on its platform. It clearly caught the attention in 2018 when it acquired Uber's Southeast Asia business after a costly five-year battle. But we know this company not doing so well. I mean, I think that's an understatement. Shall yeah, we? it's loss making. <laughs> so to manage its costs, it has in the past, and it's not something new. They have streamlined some businesses. They have tapering down incentives as well as slowing hiring. And we do see, even as users, right, at one time, there were a lot of attractive discounts. And I think there's been less of that. And they've tried to shift towards encouraging users to sign up for a subscription service. If you do, then you get better discounts. I think they're trying to lock in these customers. But the stock hasn't done well at Not all. Not at all. I mean, it was injected into a spec about a year ago. Um, and it was at that time one of the most valuable startup tech companies in Asia. Since then, it shed 70% of their market value. We are talking about $3 and 20 US dollars. Uh, it has at that time also attracted some very, very big time, big name investors. It had BlackRock. Fidelity and T. Rowe Price. But uh, to be fair, they're not the only ones who are seeing a change in fortunes from their IPO listings. I mean, we can name Goto Gojek. That was Indonesia's largest IPO this year, but it's fallen 74%. Another tech uh, startup, Bukalapa, which listed in 2021, has also fallen 70%. So uh, ultimately, people are questioning the value of these tech startups. And they came onto the scene at a time of very low interest rates. Uh, I think the environment for 
for credit and liquidity was just different. And now that we're heading into a global recession next year, I think everyone's appetite is just, you know, fading away. All I can say, the new mantra is growth is dead, long live value for the moment. That's always been your mantra, though, right? <laughs> You've always championed value over growth. Um, and so uh, now you get to have the last laugh. No, I, I, do. I wouldn't say I don't champion growth. I think growth is still important, but you still need to make money. You still need to have profitability. And if you aren't making a profit, you need to have a definitive timeline in which it can be achieved. Because you cannot keep on going to the capital markets to fund your expansion at what cost. That's my mantra. I'm not saying that growth is bad. It's just you need to also make a profit at the same time. Indeed. It is coming up to 9.44 in the morning. We're heading into some messages and we'll come back with a look at political recaps of this week. WTF continues after the break. Keep it here. BFM 89.9. 9.46am, thanks for staying tuned to The Morning Run. You're listening to WTF, or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning. And in the remaining time that we have, we're going to take a look at some of the big headlines coming out of the local frontiers. All eyes really on a politics and the government because 19th of December, Monday, is when uh, Parliament will convene and Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim is calling for a confidence vote, um, and he seems pretty confident that he'll pass this test, especially since today, apparently, the unity government is going to be signing some sort of cooperation agreement. What's in that cooperation agreement? That Do we is know? the million-dollar question. Is it going to resemble what we had uh, during Ismail Sabri's administration when there was an MOU? And that MOU had very clear provisions, yeah, in terms of what it is that the two parties were working for. It Arguably, it's because of that MOU that we managed to push forward um, a number of important reforms, namely the anti-party hopping law, especially. So will this agreement also have some kind of, um, I, I guess, some kind of goal that everyone's going to be working for? I'll be curious to see. Yeah. Or is it just a very simple agreement saying, oh, we support Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim? And for how long? Right? Uh, one year is a long time in politics. Two years is an extremely long time. And we're talking about a five-year administration, right? Typically, our government uh, lasts for that long, as long as there's no sudden changes. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But even then, on the 19th of December, which is on Monday, I, I don't think anyone expects Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim not to pass this confident vote test. Because so far... I think he's already come out to say that the heads of BN, GPS, GRS and Warisan and other parties have given their commitment. In fact, doesn't he have almost two-thirds majority, actually, in a way? That he does. I think there are 74 MPs that uh, belong to the Parikata National Fold. Uh, but other than that, um, everyone else has pretty much said that they are in support of the current government led by Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim. <sighs> I'm just curious, with this kind of majority, which we haven't had since the time of uh, Datuk Sri Anwar, uh, since the Badawi's administration, will we have many, many changes to X? Will we be able to push through the legal reform that we want? I mean, that's the hope for many who are hoping to see more progressive changes to laws, right? Mm. But I think it's always important to just keep in mind that this is a rather fragile coalition government. It's it's a. I feel that um, 
we I suppose we can have high expectations, but it might be good to just temper those because we really don't know what's going to happen um, in the year or five years to come. And to me, I think it's still important to have an opposition. There, there are check and balance, right? Uh, it can't be everybody in total agreement and everybody just, you know, shouting into the same echo chamber. That doesn't always work. So it'll be interesting to see, like you say, the next five years, how this coalition of willing actually can work together to improve the state of Malaysia. Yep. There have been calls for uh, the government or the prime minister to um, I, uh, formally recognize the shadow cabinet. So I think we'll see you know, what's the appetite for having these kinds of very innovative um, moves to strengthen um, parliamentary democracy. Let's turn our attention to another headline that um, is making the front pages, even our papers today, and that is that the government will end contracts of political appointees at once. This was announced yesterday. Putrajaya will terminate the contracts of the chairs and directors of GLC and bodies who were political appointments. This announcement came from the Chief Secretary to the government, Vansri Mohamad Zuki Ali. Now, what's interesting is IDEAS, the Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs, in their research highlighted that they are all together something like 234 such political appointments made from August 2021 to September 2020. Of that number, 119 were new entries, while 115 were retained from the previous administration led by Muhyiddin Yassin. And we all know how politically precarious the previous administration was under Dr. Sri Ismail Sabri. This seems to be evidence that it, that these political appointments were used as a way to just uh, curry favour and kind of maintain some semblance of of stability, uh, just trying to keep people on his side, perhaps. Um, I think that's something that uh, that's largely the consensus view. Yeah, so I was wondering what counts as a political appointee, right? Uh, what's What makes them one or makes her one? And uh, so I actually am looking at uh, Sina Haryan. So they gave some examples of what counts as political appointees in JLCs. And, you know, to my surprise, I realised it's not just MPs, right? It could just be positions of power within a party. So like a Pemimpin Bersatu, Pengurusi Bersatu Johor, for example, I'm just quoting some. And it, of course, within that are some MPs. And the point is, okay, so if now we review this process, the, are we going to have professionals in place who are meant to do their job and best suited for these positions? And in a way, after we've done that, are we going to leave them alone to carry out their job? Of course, not to say that there won't be any supervision. But the point is to have the right people for the job, assign them KPIs and let them get on with it. And when they don't deliver, what do we do? We don't allow these people to just continue doing, you know, to be ineffective leaders. So that is the casualty of the political uncertainty of the past few years, right? It's not just the government that keeps changing, but it's the people who are helming these GLCs that do important work for the economy. They've also been stalled or, or thwarted in, in trying to make progress because the, the bosses keep changing. Yeah, and to be fair, right, everyone has been a political appointee. Every party has had, okay. I mean, if you look at the numbers, uh, ideas came out and showed that Persatu had 28, PAS had 11, Amno dominated it actually with 52. Uh, you know, so is Amno now part, as part of the coalition of willing? Are they going to have, be willing to say, okay, no more political appointees? Yeah, 
that's the so that's the thing to watch who are going to be appointed to these posts how especially and whether they'll be left alone to do their work something that we'll be keeping an eye on moving forward in the little bit of time that we have shouting uh, perhaps you'd like maybe to walk us through some of the recommendations that you have in terms of what to read before we head into the weekend oh okay these these two articles are interesting one of which is a Malay Mail op-ed piece uh, it is by Erna Mayuni and it's about the invisibility of period poverty. And I think because if you follow social media, there are some men making comments on this. I, I presume they're men, okay? And like, why is it a big deal? Why should we give, you know, sanitary napkins to women? Uh, why can't they afford it? And she wrote a piece quite from her personal perspective as to we never talk about these things and why we should, right? And, you know, it shouldn't be just literally ignored. So especially if you're a guy and you don't really quite understand what's going on, have a, have a read of this piece and maybe you have a little bit of empathy for women who don't have the money to buy sanitary napkins, who you know, are affected by their periods. And it shouldn't be something that we can't discuss openly. And this is, of course, coming out from the announcement by the new Minister of Health, uh, Dr. Zaliha, that um, they would start a pilot program in the Ministry of Health where uh, free sanitary napkins and period products would be made available. Um, and this has caused some kind of uh, discussion, debate, outcry on social media for reasons that um, are, is probably due to just the way we talk about these issues or mm. don't talk about these I issues. I think it's don't talk about these issues, right? And the other op-ed piece is uh, from the Singapore Straits Times. And you would think, hey, if I got unlimited leave, right, wouldn't it be a dream? I could just go wherever I want, do whatever I like. I won't be beholden to the office. And yes, there are some companies who are actually giving this out as a perk to attract talent. But of course, it only works if you really trust your your employees and there's that, you know, there's that culture of it. But guess what? It actually isn't always such a great option. And this is backed by research, right? I think research in 27 by Human Resources Platform Namely shows people took two fewer days on average on an unlimited leave policy compared with when they had a fixed number of leave days each year. So this is really psychology. You make people think that they have unlimited leave and in the end, they'll end up taking less than what they're actually entitled to do. It's, it's brilliant. It's Machiavellian. <laughs> Well, the argument is supposed to help you solve issues such as burnout and poor relations with staff. But that's not always the case. So it just goes to show that you can have something good on paper, but whether in practice it's actually implementable, that's really the big question. It is 9.55 in the morning. That's all we have on WTF. We're heading into the 10 a.m. news bulletin. And after that, it's over to Enterprise. Taking you to the news is The Cure with Friday. I'm in love, BFM 89.9. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.